Good evening, everybody. Good to see you again. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 1. We're going to have a Bible study tonight. We're going to be mostly in the epistles here um, in the New Testament, but uh, it's going to be a, a different message. I like taking a passage of Scripture and just working verse by verse through that passage, but sometimes when you preach topical on a certain topic, which I'm going to do tonight, you, you kind of got to cover a lot of different verses and so I'm going to talk tonight about unity and the Great Commission. This is something that, it's a different missions message, but it's very needed. I was exposed to this message and this thought through a book I was reading on missions one time. And I just, after I read it, I just had, like the psalmist said, the pen of a ready writer. I mean, I just couldn't write fast enough. And I thought, this is needed in our church, in our church Bible Fellowship, and I've preached it there, and then every church, and so I pray about what to preach. The Lord put this message on my heart. So we're going to look at a, kind of a different thing, but I think you'll see the importance of this message, this unity, as it appeals and, and, and uh, you know, goes with the Great Commission. Romans 1 verse 8 says, first, I thank God, thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Okay, now let's go to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read a couple of verses there, and then we'll look up one in 1 Thessalonians, and then I'll pray. Um, Philippians chapter 4. And verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And then one more in 1 Thessalonians. Just fast forward a little bit further. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And verse 8, 1 Thess 1, 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that you, we need not sp to speak anything. Father, bless this message, I pray now, and to our hearts and those online with us, Lord, thank you for them. And Lord, we pray that you might speak to us and, and show us your ways Help us to apply these things to our lives and our churches. In Jesus' name, amen. Your church, as well as I, my, the church I pastor, have requirements for the missionaries that we take on for support. I haven't talked to your pastor about this, but I know his heart. I know his, his convictions, and I know that, that we have doctrinal standards for the missionaries we take on. We have biblical requirements. We have family requirements. We have health requirements. We have operational requirements. I want to know what the missionary is going to do when he gets to the field. And when we have a missionary in, I've usually, I tell the church, I've already vetted this guy and his family. I mean, I, I wouldn't have them in unless I've already kind of know a little bit about them, what they're going to do and everything. But when they're there, I may ask questions, certain questions and, and quiz them about what they're going to do when they get there. We have standards. And, and I think that's right. Because everything that's called missions is not missions. And, and we need to know that. Now, and, and, you know, there's, there's local church, uh, you know, 
missions in our country, and that's needed. I mean, really, America is a mission field, and we need churches like this started in our city and around this country so we can do more around the world. We need that, but there's, there's this mission, and there's overseas missions, but a lot of things that happen in the name of missions aren't actually missions. I've got a book it said it's the title of it, When Everything is Missions. And the whole gist of the book is when everything is missions, then nothing is missions. You know, and it really zeroes down into what is missions and what it should be. Well, we got requirements. Well, what is the requirement for the churches that take missionaries on? What's our requirement? It, does a missionary, you know, what's the requirement for our church to take missionaries on? Do we have money? <laughs> you know, I don't care as long as they've got money. Well, that's not that's not the, the the only requirement. That's not a good enough requirement that they're faithful to send that money. Well, that's important, as I said this morning. How about the, that they're faithful to pray for them? I, I definitely, as the missionaries come in and they say, hey, listen, you know, we need your support, but we want your prayer support. That, that's not just words. They really mean that because they know that in all the churches they're in, all of them can't take them on, but all of them can pray for them. And so they need that. But I think the greatest need for any church, for this church, for my church, for any ministry is this matter of unity as it pertains to world missions. Unity in churches. All these churches we read about, Rome, in Philippi, and Thessalonica, they were missionary sending churches. Paul says there to Rome, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. How's that? Well, they were sending out missionaries. First Thessalonians, he said, from you sounded out the word of God. Philippians had communicated with Paul in giving and receiving. They were involved in missions in Paul's life and others probably since the very inception of that church. So they were all involved in missions. And yet Paul addresses them, and we're going to see as we go through some verses, addresses them on the importance of unity. And as I began to study this out, I thought, you know, this is amazing because here's three churches that he uses as examples. He talks about them being great missions churches, yet he he talks about the the need for unity. And so we're going to see how this applies to that. By the way, you don't recall anything about the church at Corinth sending out missionaries. Nothing in that letter about sending out missionaries. They had so many problems that they couldn't, evidently. Just nothing said about it. What about Romans? Let's look at Romans chapter 12. He hits it hard here in Romans 12 and 14 and 15 with them just giving some practical application on how they should treat each other. And I think if we tie this to to what's going on in that church, you'll see what I'm getting at here. Romans 12 and verse 10. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. In other words, putting somebody else's needs before mine, preferring one another. Okay, verse 16 of the same chapter. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as light, then you live peaceably with all men. Now, understand, he's talking to the local church here. He's talking to attitudes in the local church for each other. Jump over to chapter 14, verse 1. 
Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Those words mean to not to, you know, you receive people, but not to quarrel over each other's opinions. You know, you always, sometimes you get people in the church and, and they just want to quarrel about stuff. That happens. It's happened to me. It's happened to your pastor. And sometimes I, I've, I used to not say this as a young preacher, but now a little older, 30 years later, I just say, listen, brother, if you can't receive from me, you need to go somewhere where you can. I'm real, I've realized a long time ago, it's not my job to build the church. It's Jesus is building his church. And there's some people that just, you know, can't fit. under. And I understand that. I get it. But God says, hey, receive, try to work with them, is what he's saying. Verse 4, who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God's able to make him stand. Verse 10, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then verse 13 of this chapter. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify one another. What's he saying? I think over and over again that you get the idea that there was some judgment going on in that church, some critical fault finding going on in that church. That's what the kind of judgment he's talking about. And he says, hey, don't, what are you doing judging one another? We're all going to stand before the Lord. Now, there, that doesn't mean that the church is judgment. That doesn't mean that, that judging according to the word of God. But what I think was going on was some backbiting in there. The potential was there. He's saying, listen, you need to love one another. Don't judge one another. And why? Well, if you go back to chapter one, there were a church that was sending out the gospel. And they needed to be unified in that. And Paul's instructing them, hey, listen, your disunity, your infighting can cause, can hurt the cause of world missions. And then let's look at Philippians real quick. Remember, he, he talked about them sending and receiving the gifts. But he says to him in verse 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then chapter 4, in verse 2, I beseech Iotus, and I beseech Syntyche, that you be of the same mind in the Lord. This is the only rebuke in that letter. I'd have hate to been Iotus or Syntyche's husband. To be the, have this letter read in your church, and it's going really good. And then all of a sudden, the last part of the letter, he says, now you two need to straighten up. Not you two. Probably one was over here. Probably one was over here. They probably weren't talking to each other. But through the whole letter, he tells them to be of the same mind. You see why? Because Philippi was a great church. Philippi had been started by Paul, the second missionary journey. It immediately began supporting Paul, doing great work, sending out the gospel. Paul was locked up, writes back to the Philippi, Philippians, and he tells him, listen, 
be of the same mind, have this mind, the mind of Jesus. Why? Because you're sending out the gospel, and if you don't get things settled between you two, it could hurt the cause of the gospel. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look at that. Again, another church that from you sounded out the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for yourselves know, or yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are, are in all Macedonia. We, but we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we've commanded you, that you walk honestly toward them that are without and that you, have, uh, that you may have lack of nothing. That you get that, do your own business. That means mind your own business. Evidently, in the church, there were some people that weren't minding their own business. You know, sometimes we get in trouble when we get in other people's business, you know? Now, we as Christians share one another's burdens. That's not what he's talking about. That's, he's, I think he's talking about here the, 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 what was, might be going on is, hey, I'm getting a little bit into your business, and, and it could be like judging you or, or like whatever that was going on. And he said, listen, what you're doing could hurt the cause of Christ. Love one another. Get back to that love. In chapter 5, he says it again in a different way. In verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So there's some admonitions there that clearly tell us in three churches that were globally minded. They had a worldwide mission program, but God warns them about disunity. So for churches to be globally significant, it must, be, it must operate in unity. That's what God's saying. We need to be unity, unified in order to be effective in prayer. For our missionaries and for our missions program to go forward, we need to be effective in prayer. Romans 15. So I told you we're going to have a Bible study tonight, so if you're not turning with me, you can write them down, because this is a tremendous study. When, you, when I saw this, it's just one of those, you know, moments of, wow, the light came on. Romans 15 and verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. You see, Paul's saying, listen, I need you to pray for me. Paul, so Paul, great man, God used to write half the New Testament, started churches all over the known world, needed their prayers. So this church that was, the Word of God was going forth all around the world, their faith was known throughout the world, they needed unity. Why? Because Paul said, I need your prayers. We need unity so we can be effective in prayer. Missionary depend on our prayer support. And we can't pray effectively if there's strife within us, within the church. Psalm 66, 18 is very clear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You've got something against another brother in the church and it's not settled. Matthew chapter 5 
as far as I know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 is the only time that the Lord says to stop worship. He says, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that you have ought against your brother, stop and first go to that person and make it right and then bring your gift to the altar. And I remember that happening right here at a men's meeting one time. I mean, I think it was Ron Comfort was preaching. And he said something in that message that I needed to get up and leave and go get something right. Now, I couldn't at that particular time. But I, I got down on the altar and I promised God I was going to get it right because I want to hear something in this meeting. And I don't want to not hear something. But I, I was able to go and, and get it right, at least try to. The person I tried to get it right with didn't respond. And that's okay. I did my part. You know, we're only supposed to do our part. But Try, if there's strife, I realize that our prayers can't be heard. Our, accepted, our worship's not accepted. So we need unity to be effective in prayer. We need unity to be effective in our preaching or our sending. Again, Romans, back, go to chapter 10. Verse 15, he says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So here he's talking about preaching. How shall people hear except they be sent? And the churches are the ones that send them. I used to have a preacher every time he, uh, our missions guy in and preached for us at a conference. He's with the Lord now, but he used to say, everybody, you need to take your your." your pen and where it says sent, put a line through that S because that's what that means, dollars, right? Sending them out. Well, our church is involved in sending people. These missionaries, we are helping send them to the field. That's why they come around on deputation. We are deputizing them to go in our stead to the world. So we've got to have unity if we're going to do that. Paul, again, told the church at Philippi, he says, they strive together for the faith of the gospel. Paul said, hey, it's all about the gospel. You, you unify yourself, you stay uni- unified so that the gospel can go out. And then effective in glorifying God. Again, Romans, this time chapter 15. If we're going to be effective in glorifying God, we need unity. Romans 15, 5 and 6, he says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, uh, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth, glorify God, even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I said this morning, the ultimate, the ultimate goal of missions is the glory of God. And worship. God wants worship in this world. And when a person gets saved, then he begins to worship the, the true God. Praise God. We had a, I told, told pastor this morning, about a month ago, uh, uh, back up, about a year ago, uh, a Jewish man started attending our church with, with one of our uh, ladies. He was kind of interested in this girl, lady, uh, one of our single moms, and, and she said, hey, if you're interested in me, you need to get saved, basically. You know, that's, and so he started coming to church, and he sat, and he listened and, and over a year now, and he's, he's responded in invitations, and he, he, he just didn't get it. He just couldn't get it, that Jesus couldn't accept that Jesus was God. He came forward one time, and I thought, man, this is it. This is it. Dwight Smith was there preaching, and, and he responded. Man, he shot down the altar. I just like a bullet. And I met him right here. I said, Daniel, are you ready to be saved? And he said, he said, can I accept Jesus Christ 
and not believe he's God? And I said, that's not the Jesus in the Bible. So the answer is no. Well, he kept, we, we, we flew out, a man we supported, a born-again Jewish man, we supported his ministry, Mark Robinson, with Jewish Awareness Ministry. Mark spent six hours with him. Into that six hours, that night, Daniel called me and accepted Christ as Savior. So I thought. Okay, I say amen too. We rejoiced. The next Sunday he stood right there and, and gave his testimony how he believed that Jesus is God and now he was his Messiah. We were rejoicing as a church. Well, the next day it fell through the floor, man. The rabbi called him. You've been lied to. Well, rabbi's been telling born-again people that for 2,000 years, right? I mean, really. So I wasn't surprised that this happened. But anyway, he began to tank and he began to wonder, did I do the right thing? Da, da, da. So we've been working with Daniel for a for a month over this, just trying to, you know, just urge him on and trying to get him pointed in the right direction, trying to teach. And he really is not going anywhere. Well, last Sunday morning after church, he, he tells me, he says, I need to accept Jesus as my Savior, and I need to do business this time. I said, okay. Okay. He said, but I want you to wait a week before you tell Evie, his friend, you know. He says, don't tell her because I don't want to get her hopes up. He says, I want to make sure. He prayed the most precious prayer right there. And you know, then I just thought, this is so real. Well, he was there this morning. The first thing he said to Karen was, where's pastor? I want to get baptized. It's real. It's real. Praise God. He called me. I called him this afternoon. He said, next Sunday, I want to get baptized. I said, hey, you can do it. Listen, what's that? That's the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. As far as I know, I, I don't think I'm, I think in all my ministry, this is going to be the first born again a Jewish man that I've ever baptized. And I just rejoice in the Lord over that because the gospel is the power of God to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this matter of glorifying God. What am I saying? If we're going to be effective in glorifying God, which ultimately his salvation brings glory to God because that's what the gospel does. We've got to be in unity. Now, how can we maintain unity? Let me give you a few things and we'll be finished. Number one, Die to self. That's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to die to self. Back in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1. If there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then he says, let this mind be in you. This is how you do this. You see, first he's saying you've got to die to self, and then you get the mind of Christ. What does it mean? What, this whole, those, every one of those verses says to put others before us. The only way that's going to happen is if we die to self. Jesus said, except a corn of wheat die, it it bringeth forth fruit. We've got to die to self if we're going to bring forth fruit. When you plant a kernel of corn in the ground, what happens? That thing dies, but out of that death comes fruit. And our death to self is what we have. We have to die to self. Paul says, I die daily. And, And in the local church ministry, we have to die. Let me just say it like this. If you're going to cause trouble in the church, it better be important because 
your trouble may hurt the missions program of this church. That's just exactly what it is. You're, me trying to push my way, and even as a pastor, I have, to, I, have to, I have to realize it's not my way or the highway. If I sense resistance, and maybe from the Lord or from someone, I back off and I say, hey, we're going to pray about this till we get the mind of God. Because I'm not the head of our church. Jesus is. And if we all get his mind on it, we're gonna, we're gonna, there's going to be unity and we're going to flow. We're going to go with the Lord. But we've got to die. Because I realize that if I try to push my agenda, or somebody in the church tries to push their agenda above the Lord's agenda, it could hurt the mission program of the church. Not just locally, it could hurt locally, but it could hurt the missions program of the church. In my years as pastor, I've heard a few things like, no doubt you've heard if you've been in church any amount of time, and I know your pastor has, like, I don't like that song. You're always singing that song, but I just don't like that song. Matter of fact, I don't like your music ministry. Have a nice day, you know, and just walk out. That just blesses the pastor's heart on the way out, you know. Or something like, they took my seat. Or my parking place. You know, when I, I pastored a, a church, uh, I was the third pastor of a church in Louisiana. And before I, I followed a man that had been there 27 years. And before I got there in the late 70s, the church building burnt down to the ground on a Sunday morning. Pastor was back in his study, church caught on fire. Somebody knocked on the door and said, Pastor, the building's on fire. He got out with his Bible and a tape recorder. That's all he got out with. The church burnt to the ground. Well, they built it back. And when they did, they had people put in money for pews, you know. And they had people put their names on those pews, you know. If you donated a pew, you could put a little plaque on there. Well, over the years, those plaques came off. But what was left, when I took over, they all come off. And there was a fellow that used to sit over there, and I saw him walk in after I'd gone out there with my screwdriver and took that little plaque off. I saw him walking, and he was, he was looking to see where that thing was. I knew it. He'd never asked me about it, but it wasn't there. Why? Because that's not his seat. Oh, he thought it was. And I remember, I remember preaching a funeral for a guy that used to be at the church, and he had moved to Arkansas, and I, I was preaching a funeral, and, and uh, his wife, or no, I think I was preaching his wife's funeral, and he said, I've got a pew down there with my name on it. I said, not anymore, you don't. I said, I didn't even know who you were, so I took your name off. What am I saying? We get stuck in our ways. And listen, do you realize those kind of things divide churches? The color of the carpets, the color of the seats. These kind of things divide churches. Oh, he took my parking place. Oh, I, I, you know, that's my parking place. Well, remember, if you're going to cause trouble, it better be important because it could hurt the missions program of the church. My, wanting my way could, want to bring, could bring a missionary off the field. I don't want to do that. They, the pastor didn't recognize me when I did blank. I'm bad about that, really, recognizing people, you know. You know, I I don't mean to not do it, but I just don't do it sometimes. Or pastor didn't visit me when I was in the hospital. I had a lady walk through the aisle one time, and she said, you didn't visit me when I had surgery this week. And I said, I didn't know you had surgery. I don't have ESP. I don't know. I can't read your mind. You didn't tell me. Well, you should have visited. I'm like, you know, but here's the deal. What I'm saying, just a few things that that can cause us to get in church work can cause us to get 
at odds with each other. Would you believe that they didn't change my baby's diaper in the nursery? Well, if I was in charge, no diapers would get changed. (laughs) I know that's important, but I'm just glad I don't have that job. Well, you could go on and on and on, but the thing is, you get the idea is that disunity. We have to die to self in the local church. Here's another way we could do it. Adopt the attitude of Jesus. You see, he goes on in Philippians chapter 2 talking about the mind of Christ. And if we adopt the attitude, Jesus took upon him the form of a servant. And if we adopt that attitude, a servant's attitude is, I don't deserve anything and nothing should really bother me because I'm just a servant. I'm just a servant. And when you, if, if you just have a church full of servants, you'll do well. Just, I just don't deserve anything. Adopt the attitude of Jesus and then work at it. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. You see, unity is not uniformity. Those of you who've been in the military, you know that the goal was when you first went in to get all of us in the company or in the flight, whatever you were in, in unity. And they, they, they put uniforms on us. Well, I learned really that uniformity is not unity. Because here you've got 50 guys from all different walks of life, and they're trying to make one unit. Well, they break you down. That's how they do it and build you up. But unity isn't uniformity. Unity doesn't just happen. We've got to work for unity. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The word endeavoring means to earnest, to be earnest, to diligence, to do diligence, to labor, to make an effort. Unity doesn't just happen. We have to work at it in the church, and we have to work constantly at it. We have to constantly work at keeping the unity. What is, what is, how do you do that? You've got to die to self. You've got to constantly, am I taking the attitude of a servant in this church? Am I, am I supporting the pastor? Am I, am I doing all I can just to... to further the cause of Christ in this church, endeavoring to keep the spirit of the unity in the bond of peace. And then, and then lastly, it's all about Jesus, really. You know, when I, get, when I have a problem with people, you know what it is? I have taken my eyes off of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, you know these verses, but Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame is set down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. That looking there means to look intently. To look and not look away. And I have, to, I have to just get my, when I get odd, at odds with somebody or I, I feel something's going wrong, I have to, I, my eyes are off of Jesus. And I've got I've to get on my knees and I've got to say, Lord, I've got my eyes off of you. And I confess that as sin and I'm going to try to keep my eyes on you, focused on you. Because that will help us to maintain unity. We're looking unto Jesus. And what's Jesus' main concern? That we get the gospel to this world. So unity in the local church is very important. And I pray that, that uh, it's been a hope, hope that it's been a challenge to you. It's been a challenge to me. Studying this out, 
and preaching it occasionally to our church. We need unity. We've got to have unity. I'm going to tell you something. There's not unity in this world. You know, the current administration, they, they, he said, you know, we're going to be the party of unity. Well, that's not been true. You can't unify a bunch of people that aren't the same. But you can have it in the local church. This is really the only place you can have it. And God knows, and the devil, hey, listen, the devil knows if he can disunify the church that the number one cause in this world can go down. And a nation divided cannot stand. And the devil knows that nationally. But what about church-wide? We have to strive for unity in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Be very clear. And Lord, we, we praise you. that You've given us instruction how to live, how to act in the local church. And I pray that you seal these things in our hearts so that we might be able to apply this in this church in the coming days. Lord, whatever you've got planned for the Faith Baptist Tabernacle in the future, Lord, they'll need to go forth in unity. And I pray that they would. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.